friends, and welcome back to the podcast. This is But What's Next with me, Michelle Reed. I am so incredibly excited for this episode, which I know I say in every single stinking podcast that I do, but I have Rachel Cruz on today's podcast, and if you guys don't know who Rachel is, she is an author. She has written very many books on personal finance. She is a speaker, and she is also Dave Ramsey's daughter. So if you guys don't know who Dave Ramsey is, He is someone who teaches a lot about personal finance, and he's been around for so many years. And the reason why this is really special to me is because when my parents would pick us up from school or we'd carpool or whatnot whenever we were in the car, I always remember coming into the car and hearing Dave Ramsey on the radio. So my parents would always listen to him on the radio. Now he does a lot of podcasts, still does radio, I believe so, but he also does a lot of work on getting out of debt trying to pay off all your debt. He's really, really specialized in helping people get out of bad money situations. And he has just been such a big impact on my family personally. My parents went through Financial Peace University and my sister Lindsay and her husband Ben, they did. I have been such a big fan. Whenever we bought our car in full, it was a personal kind of goal of mine to purchase that just in cash in full because of Dave Ramsey's work, because of his teachings. And I just really feel blessed by his work personally in my family. And you guys know I talk a lot about personal finance. And I think it can be like this really big, scary thing. And this thing that is so complicated. But I love Ramsey Solutions, which is also affiliated with Rachel Cruz, because of the work that they do and how it touches so many people who've been impacted. And so this was just a really exciting episode for me. I love talking to Rachel. She was so sweet and just such a nice person to talk to. I've done a few money podcasts here and there, but it's only ever been kind of on my own personal experience and things that I've learned. But I really wanted to sit down with an expert. If you're someone who's dealing with paying off debt or getting married and trying to merge your finances and Her book that she's talking about in this episode, it focuses a lot on kind of how your upbringing and your relationship with money is really focused on kind of how you were exposed to it as a child. And I really liked that because I think that money can be this thing that seems so hard to grasp and something that's so hard to understand. And, you know, only really wealthy people invest or only people who grew up in families that really talked about these things are good at it. But I love how she just breaks this down and shares exactly how you can kind of get freedom with your money despite your past, despite how you were raised, and despite the situation that you may be in right here and now. I did just want to do a quick little life update before then, just kind of catch up, do a little chat before we get into the interview. It is actually Tuesday when I'm recording this, and next week we are going to Vermont for Thanksgiving. I'm so excited. It's definitely going to be a process. Originally, we were actually going to drive there because if y'all know, I haven't had my clothes since I moved from New York and all my belongings since March. And so they're actually stored in Vermont now because Aiden's mom grabbed them for me. And so we are actually going up to Vermont to get this stuff and also to visit her for Thanksgiving because it's just going to be his mom and his brother. They have like a small family, which is really nice just to kind of relax and recharge We basically just stay there alone in the cabin. We don't really do a ton of stuff or anything. And so I just think it's going to be the perfect Thanksgiving. Obviously now Thanksgiving is kind of weird, but I feel like we have the perfect situation. I'm a little bit nervous because we are actually getting our COVID tests on Wednesday because to fly up there, you have to get tested there. And then we're also getting tested once we land. And we're also waiting till we get our results back to see like his family and everything. So 
it's like a whole process now to get to travel, but it just makes me appreciate it so much more because I have not traveled in such a long time, but I'm really excited to see them. It's been a while, but with that being said, it's been a really busy week because I've just been catching up on all my work. The past couple of weeks, I have been in like this brain fog, weird space mentally, and so all my work has been very backlogged. I weirdly kind of like it because I like being really busy, so I feel a lot happier this week. Like I'm checking off to-dos, I'm feeling productive, I'm feeling like getting stuff done versus the last couple of weeks. It was just not the case at all. So having a good week so far, really just enjoying life. And then on Sunday, I actually took the time to go ahead and decorate our apartment because in my family, we are not the kind of people who decorate for Christmas before Thanksgiving. That's like a big no-no. You focus on Thanksgiving, but we usually do it the Friday after Thanksgiving. Like that's kind of how we spend our Friday. But because we're going to be in Vermont, and I believe we're going to be there for a whole week, I just wanted to be able to come home to a nice, cozy apartment. And I knew I had a lot of work during the week, so we went ahead and did it early. And our place is so cozy. We put up our tree. I got nice, like, greenery and garland everywhere. And I also posted a video, if you guys want to watch it, on decorating our apartment. I actually made DIY ornaments, which I'm not a crafty person, but I made these orange ornaments and they just look so pretty in our apartment. I love how natural and simple our apartment is and it just looks so, so cute and festive in here. So I've just been enjoying working from home, having some beautiful little Christmas things to look at. Because I've been in such a fog the past two weeks, we kind of sat down on Monday and we were like, okay, how can we get out of this mindset? How can we get out of this weird slump? And I truly believe it has been social media and me just consuming way too much content and scrolling specifically on Instagram stories. Feel this need to look at all these stories all day and all this content and watching different YouTube videos. And I think that those things are great, but I have just had that in an abundance. And so we kind of reset Monday and we're like, okay, let's try in the morning instead of just waking up and going on our phones and rolling out of bed and starting work. We're going to try to go for a morning walk. And we did that this morning. We went for like a really nice, cool, it was like 45 degrees morning walk. Instead of bringing our phones, we just did it kind of alone without our phones together. And it was so nice. And then I checked my phone right when I started getting to work, which was just really good for me. And then in the evening, we've stopped going on our phones. So I'll still go and like text if I need to text people back, but I won't go on social media once I'm done with my work. And I was kind of nervous to do this because social media is my job, but I found that I wasn't even posting things at these times of the day, but I was just scrolling and then using it as an excuse as, oh, you know, it's my job, so I need to be on it, which just isn't the case. I tried to do like a timer, and even if I spend an hour on Instagram a day, according to a timer, I'm still consuming it at poor times. And so it was nice to kind of just reset for the week and have that, and I feel like I'm in such a better kind of mindset so I would just encourage you if you're listening to this on a Monday think about how it's Thanksgiving week think of how you can actually transform the way that you're using your phone this week to be more intentional with family be more intentional with your work and just have a better mindset because it's something that has definitely helped me as of lately but that's pretty much it for my little life update my little catch-up you guys should feel free to let me know just dm me on instagram if you like doing these little chatty intros whenever i have guests because i know a lot of people like episodes with guests a lot of people don't like episodes with guests you should definitely listen to this one though because this is a special guest but 
I just like to put this in so you guys can kind of get a sense of who you're listening to, what I've been up to, and also just share my thoughts for the week. But I hope you guys enjoy this episode and let's just go ahead and get right into it. So hello, Rachel. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. My viewers or my listeners definitely know that I'm a big Dave Ramsey fan. I think his work and, you know, the work that you do comes up in pretty much all my podcasts because I talk a lot about money on my podcast. And so whenever I got the email about you, I was so pumped because you've definitely had a really big influence on my family and I just got married. And so we definitely have been, you know, working out the kinks of getting married in terms of budgeting and everything. And so we really definitely use a lot of your wisdom. And so I'm so excited to have you on today. I would just love for you to tell my listeners if they don't already know who you are and what you do and what your book is about. Yes. Well, thanks, Michelle. And congrats on being newly married. So fun. Yeah. It's um, my story's a little interesting because growing up as Dave Ramsey's kid, I feel like people just assumed that this is what I would be doing, that I would be like, quote unquote, part of the family business and all of that. Um, but really, it really in my own life has become such a passion to help people figure out how to take control of their money and create a life that they love. And I think doing that in different avenues and different ways. And I I started speaking with my dad early on. I was like 15 when I started traveling and speaking with him. So I fell in love with public speaking. And then when I went to college is when I realized the need for this message of, you know, getting out of debt and staying out of debt, budgeting, being intentional, building wealth for the future, like looking at money kind of in more of a common sense approach than how the world takes it. Uh, and so I, I was talking to, you know, 18, 19 year olds when I was in college, people my own age at the time, and they were already in so much credit card debt. They had student loans. I mean, like all this stuff. And I remember thinking at 18, I was like, man, they could be doing something so, so different with their money and their outcome in life is going to would look so different if they didn't make these decisions today. So when I graduated from college, that's what I said, I want to do this full time. And so that was 11 years ago. So uh, for the past decade, yeah, I've been traveling around the country and writing books and doing podcasts and speaking and all things regards to taking control of your money. And it's such a big part of people's lives. Money is a it's a shameful topic for a lot of people. It's really intimidating. It's really scary. And so being able to break it down and give people a plan that is simple to understand and doable if they choose to do it and really set them up for financial freedom. And it's something that I love, love so much. So I've been married for 11 years as well. We got married right out of school and have three kids. I have a five-year-old girl, Amelia, three-year-old girl, Caroline, and Charles is a year. So I feel like we have wow. 17 kids, but we have three. <laughs> yeah, crazy. that's crazy. They're all under five too. Yeah, I know. We just were like, every two years we did it. Yeah, it's yeah. insane. Um, yeah. But yeah, my new book is Know Yourself, Know Your Money. And it's a really exciting one because about three years ago or so, I kind of went on this own, this journey in my own personal life, really starting to unpack who I was. I was like, man, I, I don't know why I do the things I do. Like how much did my upbringing really impact who I am today? So I did some, like I did, I took the Enneagram and kind of dove into that world. I went into counseling. Like I did a couple of things and there wasn't a big event that caused me to do it. I just was always fascinated with understanding why I'm wired the way I am. And so over time, I really feel like I became healthier emotionally in so many ways. And I just had better relationships. My mayor, I was a better wife, a better mom, a better friend. And in that I was like, okay, I talk about the how to of money all the time. Like I talk about how to budget, how to get out of debt, how to invest, how to refinance, how to give, how to do these things with money. But I never ask why, like, why do we do the things we do with money? 
And so it kind of collided in my own personal journey. And I started asking those questions and it was like this black hole of like all this new content and all this new stuff that I was like, what, this is crazy. And so really diving into understanding who we are is so important. And so that's what the book is about. It's all about knowing yourself and why you handle money the way you do. You talk a lot about kind of towards the beginning of the book, how your family experience really shapes how you view money and your relationship with money. And you label it as different like money classrooms. And I'd love for you to share more about that concept and why you think kind of the way you are raised really does shape the way that you're going to use money and just kind of view money in general. Yes. Well, growing up, uh, every household communicated about money in two ways verbally, so what was said, and emotionally, what was felt. And so what happens is like it kind of collides. As I was writing the manuscript for the book, I like made this quadrant and I was like, oh my gosh, Jesus gave me a graph. Like I love graphs. <laughs> I love quadrants. So I was like, this makes so much sense. So what ends up being is four money classrooms. And really your classroom is how you grew up. And we all have lessons that we take with us into adulthood that were great that we learned as kids. And then there's a lot of lessons we all probably wish we could unlearn that we learned as kids. Mm-hmm. And so breaking down those four money classrooms. So the first one is the anxious money classroom. And this is where it was a verbally closed household. So money was not talked about and emotionally stressed. So if you grew up in this household, you know, it was one of those things that, yeah, you never talked about money, but anytime something was mentioned about it or like toward the end of the month, the bills were due, tension would just rise up and you couldn't really pinpoint why, but you just knew there was tension. So that's the anxious classroom. The second classroom is the unstable money classroom. And this is where um, emotionally it's very stressed, but verbally open. So lots of fighting, lots of conflict. You probably heard your parents have the same money fight over and over again. Mm -hmm. They may have fought with extended family about money, but like you heard it, it was loud and it was there. The third money classroom is the unaware money classroom. So this is if you grew up in a home that was verbally closed, but emotionally calm. So it's kind of like you had your head in the sand in a sense, like you just really didn't think about money because it was never talked about and It wasn't a big deal, just was what it was. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth money classroom really is the healthiest out of the four and it's the secure money classroom. So this is where it's verbally open and emotionally calm. So Mm -hmm. things are talked about, but again, there's a level of control over the money and it doesn't mean you had a ton of money necessarily. Like if you're in quadrant four, that secure money classroom, Mm -hmm. you may not have grown up wealthy. It's not that, it's just that your parents had a sense of control over money and they talked about it. I liked how, because personally, I definitely grew up in the kind of secure classroom. And I definitely think the reason why is because my parents went through like Financial Peace University and it was just never a taboo thing to talk about growing up. But I liked, you mentioned in your book, there's this one quote, I think from Larry Burkett that said, couples spend the first five to seven years of their marriage trying to attain the same standard of living as their parents, only it took their parents 35 years to get there. And so I think that a lot of times people who grow up in this sort of classroom might have a sense of entitlement that you talk about in your book. And as you know, the daughter of Dave Ramsey, how did you find maybe, I'm not sure if you actually struggled with this personally, but kind of that mindset of like, oh, my parents are really great with money. So I maybe won't have to work at it as much and kind of getting over that sense of entitlement, maybe whenever you first got married. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Yeah. I think for me, um, there was, there's a little bit of this thing. Okay. Well, if my parents are good with money, then I'll be fine with money. It's no big deal. And then, no, I realized very quickly, I'm a natural spender. I'm a natural free spirit. So even as a teenager, like this kind of shows my age, but I, we used to write checks, you know, back in the day. And I even like bounced three checks when I was 15. Like I wrote 
money at the mall that I didn't have in my account. Like, I mean, I, I, I've always just kind of been like not great at details. And so early on, I think I recognized because I made so many money mistakes, even as just a teenager that I was like, okay, I definitely, this is not like my go. I'm not naturally really good at this stuff. Like I do have to work at it. I have to be aware and be intentional. And so when my husband and I got married, I would say the first probably like six, seven months, like we didn't do a budget. We didn't like we didn't worry about it. And yeah, being Dave Ramsey's kid in my head, I'm like, I knew we should be budgeting. Like, obviously we talk about it all the time, but doing it, I was like, eh, not a big deal. And then, yeah. If you, and then probably six, seven months in Winston was the one that was like, babe, we need to sit down and like figure out where our money's going. And again, I knew that I was like, I know, I know. I just don't want to live on a budget. Like I hated the idea of budgeting, but I've learned, you know, over years and years now that a budget it doesn't limit your freedom. It actually gives you freedom. A budget gives you permission to spend. It allows you to be in control. It is such an important tool. So yeah, so it's things like that that I just knew. I'm not, I don't gravitate towards saving. I don't gravitate towards budgeting, but I've had to learn how to do that. And, and who I am is not wrong. And I talk about money tendencies in the book too, mm -hmm. but like, it's not wrong to be a natural spender. There's nothing wrong with that, but I think recognizing it and knowing the red flags that come with it are very important. That's part of that self-awareness that I talk about in the book. Yeah. And going off the money tendencies, that was actually my next question. What are the different money tendencies that you find that people kind of struggle with in terms of money? Yeah. So I write about seven in the book and these money tendencies, there's no moral compass to it. So there's not one that's right or wrong. It just is what it is. And just being able to identify, identify it and be able to understand it is really important for what you are. So one um, spectrum is when you spend money, do you spend it on experiences or things mm -hmm. like, do you enjoy vacation or going out to a nice dinner, a massage? Like you enjoy an experience of something versus buying a specific thing. And for me, I'm experienced all the way. I love experiences. I will spend money on that all day long uh, where my husband is things. And I'll never forget, we got married really young, right out of college. And for like the first year of our marriage, we were on a super tight budget and like, oh, figuring it all out. And whenever we went out to dinner, he would never buy a drink, like never a glass of wine, not a Coke, like nothing. He would always drink water and it would heal me. I'm like, Winston, have a glass of wine with me. Like we're out to a dinner, like have this. And he's like, no, I could buy a bottle of wine at the store next door, you know, for the price of this glass. Mm -hmm. Like, no, it, for the longest time it would frustrate me, but now I can verbalize. I understand. I'm like, no, he just values things more so than experiences. And it's not right or wrong. It's just different. And I wish I had had that language, you know, early on in marriage. So I would be able to identify and be like, ah, that's why. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it, it's interesting. What are you, are you experienced or things would you say? You know, I think I used to be things, but now like going through COVID, I definitely really miss experiences. And we just moved to Texas from New York. And so we've been trying to do like these little kind of more safe like road trips where we can just go places around. I feel like I'm now really starting to value experiences. And like my mom's always asking, you know, what do you guys want for Christmas? And I'm like, I just want to go do something because I've been so cooped up. And I think you realize that things don't just really satisfy you as much as, at least for me personally, everyone's different. They yeah. don't satisfy you as much as like going and experiencing things. And we just got married. So I feel like we're like building memories and everything. So I'm definitely more of an experience person, I would definitely yes. say. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And another tendency is quality over quantity. So do mm. you like a quality thing or do you like more, you know, more, less expensive stuff? So seeing yeah. that too is interesting. What would you be? Would you say? I would say probably a quality person. Definitely. Yeah. I'm not mm -hmm. really, I think over the past year between, I was always going back and forth between New York and Texas. So I got so yeah. used to just not having a lot of stuff. 
and started really researching more like a minimalist lifestyle. And I have like no problem now departing with things. I feel like I definitely like to have less now. What about you? What would you say? Yeah, I'm more quantity. I like Mm -hmm. having options. So I would rather have yeah. like, like Winston's like, do you want like a nice pair of diamond earrings? And I'm like, no, I want 30 pairs of cheap earrings that I can mm-hmm. like choose from and like switch up where he is quality. Like he's like, no, mm-hmm. I just, I need simple, more simple, you know, but nicer things that will last me forever. So again, neither mm-hmm. one's right or wrong. It's just kind of your preference, but knowing it, I think is really fascinating because it shows yeah. how you spend your money. There was another section of your book that I really appreciated because a lot of my listeners are kind of coming out of college. So they're post-grad and really starting to like begin their careers, really start building their savings. Maybe they're like paying off loans or whatever, but you talked about how money is just a magnifying glass. And you said that this is a quote from your book. It says, the truth is that money is just a magnifying glass. It makes you more of whoever you are. If you're kind and generous, you'll be even more kind and generous with money. If you're rude and self-centered, you'll be even more rude and self-centered. Money is just a tool and has nothing to do with your identity. And I'd be interested to know if you ever struggled kind of growing up and in your early marriage of kind of recognizing how money was a magnifying glass in your own life in terms of like maybe you're developing a healthier relationship with money and time, but was there ever a time when you thought, you know, more money was going to make you like a better person, whereas you actually found it was just kind of magnifying some of like the weaknesses in your own life. Yeah, for sure. Well, I read a study a few years ago and it talked about how the finish line always moves. And they mm-hmm. interviewed people that made $50,000 a year. And they said, do you feel rich? Like, do you feel like you've arrived? And they said, oh no, if I made $100,000, that would be it. They go talk to someone that made $100,000 and they're like, oh no, if I made 250 a year, I would, I would be good. They talk to people that made 250, you're like, no, half a million, half a million to a million. I mean, it went all the way up to like $12 million. Wow. And so it just shows you like the finish line always moves. And so for me, I really had to come to grips. My last book was called Love Your Life, Not Theirs. And it was all about comparisons because early on, I would say for sure, there was a level of comparison that I was living in. You know, especially I think that this time in life, if you are just graduated, like this is such an interesting time because every every year and season up to this point in your life, you've been tracking with everyone, right? Like you, mm-hmm. everyone enters, you know, um, high school together, everyone kind of, st- everyone does the same thing. And then once you graduate college, it's kind of a free for all. Some people get married. Some people don't. Some people have kids right away. Some people don't. Some people buy a house, others rent. Some people get a dream job. Some people get an entry level job. So, I mean, like you start to really see differences in people's lives for the first time, I think in a, in a long time or, or in a while in your life. And it's just, it's, it's really important to realize that your own story and your own journey is yours. But I remember moving into a house Um, Because we bought during the recession a decade ago when we went through the recession. So we got, honestly, a bigger house than we needed at the time. But we're like, well, we have the money for it. It's a good investment. So, like, we can do it. It's the bottom of the market. And here we are. And I remember we, like, we had no furniture. I mean, there was, like, rooms that were just empty. And I was so self-conscious. Like, if we had people over, I was, like, trying to explain away. Like, oh, yeah, well, we're... We're going to have to furnish this over here, but we're just saving up. I would like justify it, which is so stupid, mm-hmm. but I would. I mean, I found myself being like, I just want to have arrived. Like, I just want to have everything complete right now. It's like that instant gratification. And yeah, feeling that for sure, for sure. And, and having to realize going back to that, just that contentment in life that it's okay to have nice stuff. Just don't let your nice stuff have you. Mm-hmm. And it can have you when you go into debt for it because you don't own it. And it can have you if your identity and your joy, your fulfillment, you think is wrapped up in that thing. And that's, and that's really difficult to navigate and to say, you know what, I'm not going to let stuff define me, but I definitely went through a season. Oh yeah. Where I thought, Oh, if we just had more money right now, Mm -hmm. it would help. If we just had more money, 
And the truth is when that, if that, if you're discontent with where you are now, you will still be discontent if you have more money. Yeah. Yeah. So true. You also talk a lot about how fear really shapes our view of money as well. We have different fears whenever we're using money. So I'd love for you to share kind of more how you think different people view money and how that relates to different fears that they have. Yes. Well, I, as I was writing this book, I interviewed Dr. Chip Dodd and he said, which I loved, he said that fear is a gift. When you have fear, it's your literal body's response that you are in need of help, that you need to do something. And I love that. So if you have a money fear and you feel it strike up in you, understand, identify it, number one, and then figure out, okay, what can I do to fix this? Like, what can I do to push down the fear? Not to go into anxiety, anxiety, you know, unhealthy, we don't want to go there. But what is this fear telling you? So a top financial fear for a lot of people is if something happens, am I going to be okay? If a, ban- if a pandemic hits, am I going to be okay? Oh if I lose gosh. my job, am I yep. going to be okay? If a medical crisis happens, am I going to be okay? Like that's a huge fear for a lot of people. So there's things you can put into place to make sure that you will be okay. You can you know, have an emergency fund, have three to six months of expenses saved in the bank, have no debt, pay off all your debt as fast as you can. I mean, there's things that you can put into place, again, to say, yes, if something happens, I'm in a good spot financially. Um, but it's a real, yeah, that's a real fear for a lot of people, especially, you know, because going through 2020, um, there's a fear. I've talked to people that they're going to end up like their parent. I've heard that a lot. You know, we grew up in kind of like the boomerang generation where when you graduate college, you end up going back home. And now they're talking about the boomerang generation being our parents' generation, that, that a lot of them can't reach retirements because they don't have the money and they have to come back and live with their grown kids. And so it's just, it's fascinating to listen to people where they like, that is their fear. They don't want to be like their parents. Um, there's a fear that uh, my life is not going to end up the way I want it to. Like I have this dream to do X, Y, and Z. And what if that doesn't happen? Cause I don't have the money right now to do it. So there's a lot of fears, but I think there's a tactical things you can put into place to help those fears. But I also think there's an emotional side too, that you know, you have to check in on like your heart and how you're feeling and to be like, okay, am I thinking that this stuff is going to satisfy me? Do I, even if you have money in the bank and you have an emergency fund, some people are still scared. They're going to lose all of that, right? Like where are you putting your safety and security? I don't know. It's, it's a lot of deeper questions to ask, but I think it's an important one because it motivates us and how we handle those fears. Yeah. You also talk, and you mentioned in one chapter, how the people that we hang out with also really shape like our mentality with money and specifically this quote, which is quoting a verse, but it says, be careful who your friends are. The Bible says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. You become more like the people you spend time with. You adopt their mindset, behaviors, and habits. And I'd love to ask, why do you think it's important to assess who are you spending time with as it relates to money um, in terms of having a healthier relationship with money? Yeah. I mean, I would say if you're hanging out with people that are living beyond their means. They're just buying everything in sight. They're doing whatever they want to do. They have no boundaries, no limits with money. And it's probably through the avenue of debt. They're going into a lot of debt to do this. You're going to feel this constant feeling that you're behind. Like you're going to feel this feeling of like, oh my gosh, everyone's doing so much more than I am. Look how far ahead. I need to catch up. I need to catch up. And it's that comparison game again. And when you let that win, it devastates your financial future. Like it, it literally, you're taking on someone else's story in your own life and you're making decisions based on their life versus yours. And it's really important to kind of have that boundary and say, okay, you know, if everyone that I'm hanging out with is doing all this stuff that I can't afford right now, cause I'm choosing to make different decisions with money. There's a level of like, it gets hard. It gets really hard when they keep doing stuff and you're like, wow. So I think finding people that have a value system that you value, not that you can't hang out with people that have tons of money by no means, not that at all. But just like, hey, I value um, having a limit with my money, having a budget and having these guardrails. And if people can't respect that or they make fun of you or they're, they're not including you because of that, like you have to check yourself and say, okay, 
how is this affecting me? Um, if you have a value system of, hey, I'm not going to go into debt. People, if you just around people that constantly are in debt all the time, you're, it's hard to have that accountability to live a debt-free life. So I would say find those people that really have the same value system as you do with money. And not that they have to be your go-to people in life in general, but make sure you have that outlet, you have that other person walking beside you. Because it's really hard, especially when you're single, to do money on your own. I mean, I think mm -hmm. having having someone else in your life that's walking with you is so, so crucial. Yeah. My sister actually just finished. They were doing the baby steps and she just finished paying off. I think it was like $9,000 worth of debt between the two. Amazing. But it's so yeah. funny because I always remember whenever I would listen to Dave Ramsey, who would always mention how like whenever you're giving gifts to people and like you're paying off debt and it's kind of that uncomfortable, like how do I tell someone that I'm working through this process in terms of like Christmas? And it's so funny because she would just like say like straight up, oh, you guys get hugs because we're paying off debt. <laughs> we can't even. And so I think that there has to be, if someone is truly a really good friend, like they're going to understand whenever you can't do something or they're totally going to be supportive of you paying off all this debt or building your savings, you know, if they are a great friend. And so I that's really right. That's that. right. That's right. Absolutely. Yep. And then another question I had, this is just a very kind of like bare bones, simple, because anytime I do these podcasts on money, so many people just ask simple questions of like, how do I start saving money? You know, maybe they're living paycheck to paycheck. Maybe they're just coming out of college. Maybe they're paying off debt. And obviously during the pandemic, we really kind of were exposed to the fact that it's important to have savings. And so yeah. just from a practical level, how would you recommend someone in their early twenties to kind of start having a better mindset with saving? Yeah. Well, the first thing is you have to have a plan. So money obviously is not going to just like show up in your savings account one day. <laughs> I wish it would, but it, it doesn't. So you do have to be really intentional. So I'd say the first thing is to budget mm -hmm. and having a savings at the top of your budget is you'll go down the list and figure out what all you have to pay for. And you get to the bottom and you're like, Oh, I have no money for savings. It's like, yeah, that's because your budget's upside down. You got to turn it back around and say, okay, saving first and save just even a little bit. I always say save a little until you can save a lot, like just a little bit at a time. But your first goal should be a thousand dollars. If you're getting out of college, get a thousand dollars as soon as possible. And that may mean cutting out, going out to eat. Maybe that means like not going shopping, like whatever it is, cut things out to get that thousand dollars. And that's really your first big step to say, wow, I can do this. Like it's a, it's a goal and it may feel like a big goal to some, it could feel like a small goal to others, but just actually saying, I'm going to set aside X amount each month because I'm going to have a thousand dollars saved in the next, whatever time frame it is, but doing it as fast as possible and putting that money and you have to be disciplined with it to put it aside and say, okay, I'm not spending this. It is going over. And the beautiful thing is that personal finance, it's 80% behavior it's only 20% head knowledge. So once you get these little quick wins, your behavior does start to change because you see hope on the other side. You see like, okay, I can do this. This is possible. But I'd say one step at a time, but make a plan, write it down and say, I'm going to save this amount every month and put it away. Just put it away and don't touch it. Don't touch it unless it's an emergency. And then like, let's say someone's trying to do that and they make money mistakes. Cause you mentioned, you know, in your book that there are a lot of different bad money mistakes. And you also kind of go through how someone can change them. And so I'd love to kind of see your input on having grace with yourself when mistakes happen. You talk about the principles of grace and truth as well in your book and kind of how that relates to continuing to stay on track despite maybe making mistakes sometimes with money. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, money mistakes are going to happen. I mean, if you breathe air, you've probably made a money mistake, right? We mm -hmm. all have. 
And so there's a spectrum of kind of grace and legalism. And so some people fall more on the grace side where you give yourself grace and you give others grace when mistakes happen. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. But if it's the same mistake over and over and over and over and over and over and over, that grace ends up being enabling. You enable bad behaviors within yourself or within other people. So you have to watch for that. You want grace, but don't let it go too far with money mistakes because you have to learn from the mistake or you're going to keep making the same mistake over and over again. And then on the other side, some people lean more of like a legalistic mindset where it's like X, Y, and Z has to happen. And if X, Y, and Z doesn't happen and you spend $3 more and out to eat than you're supposed to, it's just like, oh, I'm this terrible person and I'm awful, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, breathe. It's okay. It's okay. Things are going to happen. Mistakes are going to happen. You have to do give yourself grace. So I'd say that mm-hmm. scale is really important and to know where you fall. Because I do find people that lean more on that legalistic side, they have a hard time giving grace and giving themselves grace. Mm. But you have to know, like, it's going to happen. You're going to make a mistake and you can't let that define you. You have to step back up and say, okay, I'm going to keep going again. Because even like the budget, like we're talking about, I mean, it really takes three months to get it right. So that first month, a lot of people just give up and they're like, oh, I can't budget. This is not working. And I'm like, no, you have to stick with it. And they just feel like they were a failure and they're like, okay, I'm just done. And they give up but staying with it. And so there's things within money when you're changing habits, it's going to be up and down, you, but, but hopefully the progress will be going up, even though there'll be some dips. Um, but knowing that, yeah, you're not going to be perfect and giving yourself grace is so important. Yeah. Whenever we actually got married in August and whenever we are doing like our wedding budget, there's so many things that like looking back, I almost felt a little guilty. Like, I don't think we need to spend that much on flowers or food and kind of feeling like, oh, it would be nice to have that money saved now. And I find I'm someone who really leans into the kind of truth and being a little too like legalistic with things versus my husband, Aiden. He's the one who really focuses on the grace. And it's been so good being married now that I definitely feel like there's that balance. And you talk about this in your book, kind of having transparency in terms of a relationship with money. And so I'd love to hear kind of your advice for someone who is maybe getting married soon and thinking about, you know, merging and budgeting with their spouse and making mistakes in terms of that. How do you think someone could have a healthy relationship with money within their marriage? Yes. Well, this is very important because one of the leading causes of divorce in America today is money fights and money problems. So money is a source of tension in so many marriages. And so going into a marriage, realizing that, and I would say as you're dating and you're getting serious Like you have to be, if you're like, okay, no, this is heading towards marriage. You have to be open and honest with where you are financially down to the tactical side of like how much debt do you have, which can be very embarrassing. That's very shameful for a lot of people if they don't talk about it. Um, How much money do you make? Do you have money saved? Like everything needs to be out on the table because what's going to happen is after you say, I do, you're going to become one in every aspect of your life, including for money. And so being able to be on the same page and being a team together is so crucial and opposites attract. Even as we were going through that spectrum, Winston and I on like every opposite side of the spectrum, but knowing, okay, no, together, we're going to be a team and we're going to communicate and talk about it. And you will win with money so much faster when you're working together versus in two separate lanes. Yeah, no, I definitely totally agree with that. And then the last question that I had was on this aspect of generosity. Cause I think, especially for my generation, who's like in their twenties, I don't think that people, it seems counterintuitive to give money when you're trying to save or maybe paying off debt or whatever, obviously paying off debt first is probably the best thing to do, but I'd love to hear why you think it's important to still be generous with your money and to give back, even if you are trying to maybe save more money and stuff. Yeah. Giving is something that I tell anyone, no matter where you are financially, you need to be doing. And I recommend 10%. That percentage could change, you know, depending on what you decide for your life, but Mm -hmm. giving something away because giving 
it changes you. Like when you live life with an open hand, it changes your character, it changes your spirit, it changes who you are because you start to see and focus that other people are valuable. And when you start to see other people before yourself, you're living a selfless life instead of a selfish life. And we, gosh, we live in a world and it's like, there's like cameras on our phones to take pictures of ourselves, right? Like, I mean, like we live in a very self-centered world, not that selfies are self-centered, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, it's just all about us. And I'm like, man, when you can, when that, when that's your life, it's a very empty, shallow life. When that's what you live over an extended period of time, there's not a lot of joy in that. And when you learn to give and you help people who actually really need help, it is the most fun, the most fun you can have with money. And so giving mm -hmm. is something that is obviously helps the person you're giving to, but it changes who you are. And we talked about that magnifying glass. And that's true. When you are generous early on, when you don't have a lot of money and that's a habit you keep and you actually, you, you are successful and you build wealth, you get to do absolutely incredible things in life for other people. And it's just, it really is. I'm like Winston and I, my husband, we built, we built a home last year and it's like kind of our dream home. It was so fun. We saved for it. I mean, it was just, it was a work in progress and, oh, we love it. But then we also got to do two amazing things last year with giving. And we talk about all the time. We're like doing these two things that we did with giving was like blew our minds in a whole other way. Like it's just that stuff will not fulfill you, mm -hmm. but helping other people will be this constant change of your heart and a constant joy. And it's just such a beautiful thing. So I think yeah, learning to give where you are, no matter what, is extremely important. So true. I'd love for you to plug your book when it'll be available. I will have it. I don't know if it's on pre-order, but I can put it in the show notes of this and just to kind of share about that too. Perfect. Yes. The book, Love Your Life. I hope Love Your Life. That's my old book. <laughs> that was my second book. My new book. Yeah. Know Yourself, Know Your Money. It'll be out January 5th. So before that, you can pre-order at rachelcruz.com or anywhere books are sold. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for chatting today. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Michelle. And that is it for the episode today. I really hope this just gave you some wisdom today. If you're someone who is thinking about money, we're going into the holidays and it can be really tempting just to splurge and purchase a lot of things. And, you know, it is a time to be generous and to give gifts, but maybe just assess why you're using your money the way that you're using it. And I really hope that Rachel's wisdom here meant something to you feel free if you enjoyed this podcast again I mentioned it during the episode but I will have Rachel's book for pre-order in the description if you guys want to check it out she also has a lot of other books if you're interested in exploring those but those will be in the show notes and if you enjoyed this episode feel free to write me a review if you're on Apple Podcasts it really does help kind of boost my podcast and give it a rating even though it's just like a simple click in an amount of stars it really does help my podcast and I would really appreciate that because I appreciate all you viewers. I feel like my podcast listeners are just the true crew of my followers and you guys exceptionally mean a lot to me. Beyond YouTube, beyond Instagram, this is where it's at. So I just really appreciate you as a viewer and I always want to make sure that you guys know that because without you... I couldn't be doing this and I couldn't have done this podcast with someone who I really looked up to for a while. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much for listening and I will talk to you guys in my next episode. Bye friends. <laughs> <laughs>